0: you're listening to the try and tackle podcast with your host province sports mobile editor patrick johnston
1: all right welcome back try and tackle podcast it's been a while i am patrick johnston as always we're doing a bit of an extended show today bringing in a first ever guest we're going to bring in brian ray from uh, america's rugby news and later on we'll have our usual uh, our usual buddy curtis reed from this is american rugby but up first sitting in a, the ottawa airport i believe waiting to head back to halifax brian ray brian how are you
2: i'm doing great just uh hanging out here in the airport
1: is uh is it ottawa airport as sensational as we all can imagine it is yeah, you know,
2: this is, uh, I've been here a couple times, but only briefly. So this is my first time I actually get to hang out and check out <laughs> all the, the scenes. They have got a nice little uh, running fountain. You can throw your pennies and such in, but, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty standard. It's not quite the palace that uh, Pearson Airport is in Toronto, but it's, it's quite nice.
1: <laughs> all right, Brian, uh, let's cut to the chase. We're here to talk rugby. Um, you actually were in Ottawa for uh, the last uh, home test anyway. Uh, i was in
2: halifax actually were halifax, you i be, thought uh, you were in ottawa
1: i had this crazy idea that your game. never mind i'll just you're at the halifax game all right fine yes, yes, yes but you were the last guy to see the canadian team on home soil we've we've, <laughs> we, we've seen <laughs> one game true. of them abroad uh tell me what you think of this team uh, I've, I've written a lot about what i think i'm curious to hear what you what you really think
2: you know, there's there's a lot of positive things. He's had a really, really rough stretch coming in. I mean, everyone's going to say the same thing. To look at the record. Um, but looking at the performance, they brought in Leo Crowley. He's really changed up the system since he's came in. And he's just arrived uh, just prior to the Pacific Nation. So uh, there was always going to be kind of a, a betting in time to see how they adjusted to that system. You can kind of see them uh, making little improvements to that. Um, they got the big win in Halifax. They got the win uh, on Wednesday in, against Georgia. So, I mean, those are huge positives. Uh, I think the defense looked really good in those games, but then I just got around to uh, a chance to watch that Fiji game today, or at least most of it. I'm three quarters of the way through. and uh, it, It's hard to say. I, I thought they might have looked a little tired, which again is understandable. After three games in, what, eight days, um, they're going to look a little bit beat up. Uh, but it's it's one of those where, you know, the, the offense just looks a little bit stilted. Maybe it's just because they've had to chop and change. We haven't had a lot of consistency there. The defense looks a little flat. Is that because they're tired? Is that because uh, was it a strategy not to shoot up against those Fijians with the steps? I'm not sure. Um, it's really hard to say. We, we want to be as optimistic as, pro- as possible, obviously. Um, but... uh we really won't won't know where they're at until that Ireland game until that first half is up then we will have a better idea of where they're at uh, it is just so hard to to figure it out with with so many changes in the lineup from from you know one game to the next we've got guys you know Cudmore and and Jeb have just returned to the team um you know they they look okay but it's it's i think it's going to be a challenge heading into this world cup for sure for
1: Before... You know, Canadian fans who want to believe in that what this team is capable of—we've seen glimpses of it. The thing that stands out the most for me is something that Crowley really hit home at the beginning of the summer when I was asking him about the likes of Callum Morrison and, and Tyson DeGoody, a couple of guys who were in the mix early on in the back yeah. row. You know, the, the, the true amateurs in the team. And you look at this team, and there are—you know—there's there's guys like. Uh, you know, Gord McCrory, Nick Blevins, uh, Ray Barkwell. These are guys that they, they play in Canada. They train in Canada. Rugby is what they do. But in the end, they're not playing in a professional environment. And you look at – or a guy like Liam Underwood. That was another guy that stood out to me from the Sunday game. The kid has so much potential but, he, you know, needs to put on a few pounds and really needs to play in, in a bit of a – more of a professional environment all the time. And And, you know, the benefits that the Canadian squad would have from having – Everybody being professional, having a little more depth. You also look at how Crowley picks his team. He 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 literally says consciously that there's an effort to try to build out thirty, thirty-five, even forty players who he could mix and match from. You know, as if you know as if this were the All Blacks, where you get that many guys that you can mix and match from. I don't think he thinks he's ever going to create that, but nonetheless, raise the standards of guys, you know, that are a bit below the first choice. I think there is a definite difference between first choice and second choice. That that to me has been what we've seen the most of this year. I I, I find it interesting to talk about the idea of a first team because in the end, the schedule's so funky. The fact that, you know, you, you you are never gonna have every single guy that you want to pick first choice. Like we can we can see Taylor Paris, great example. Hadn't played in a year, comes back, plays, gets injured. We find out today that he is going under the knife. He blew out his ACL. You know that we see all these guys coming in and out. I, I, it, it's a challenging thing. As you said, we don't really know where this team is. We have a sense. We're going to see what they're like against Ireland. Maybe they're close. I don't think they're going to beat Ireland. I don't think they have a chance of beating Ireland. I don't think they have a chance of beating France. But maybe they beat, they should beat Romania. Maybe on a good day they beat Italy. To me, that's really what the target is. They have to beat Romania, and they have to at least be close to Italy. Is that really what we're going to assess with in the end?
2: I think absolutely, I mean it, it, you pretty much hit the nail on the head there um talking about the professional players, you know I had a conversation with Al Sheron uh, a little earlier, and that was one of the big points that he wanted to make was, hey, we've still got guys who are out you know working full time jobs and making time to to fit in rugby and you just can't compete at the the international level doing that anymore That's, I mean we're twenty years into professionalism it's just It's just not going to happen at a World Cup. Uh, you know, and obviously there there are issues with that i 'm sure it 's a goal of Rugby Canada to get uh, some kind of professionalism going we 've got kind of that with our sevens players at least, but then again, you get guys you know our two number tens uh, uh, here I am and underwood have played what a half dozen games of of uh, of fifteens between them over the last couple of years, which is really, really far from ideal um, but yeah, you know looking at those games. We've got to target the Romanian game, obviously, but, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's, if it's a game we can even go in there and, and expect to win. Um, it's going to come at the end of the tournament, guys will be sore. The big thing with Romania is that scrum, I mean, it's, it's, it's only one phase of the game, but it's so important to get that front football, at least be stable on your own scrum, and Romania just pounds and pounds with that thing until they, get to, until they win penalties and then just turn that into points and... Uh, I mean, we saw that uh, they had the warm-up game against Edinburgh, and I think they had seven, seven against the head or something ridiculous like that. Uh, you know, either penalties or just throw them straight off the ball. So, I mean, that's got to be a concern heading into that game. If we can avoid the scrum at all, at all, uh, you know, all costs, then then maybe we can get away with the win. I think we're we're much better in the backs. We've Got uh, probably a better flow, better system going on, but but that's going to be a it's going to be a battle in Italy. You know, Italy, I haven't had a chance to watch the game of the weekend against, uh, who was it? Was it Scotland that just played? In the, it was, it was,
1: um, um, it was against, uh, no, Scotland almost beat France. So who the heck was Italy playing? I mean, oh, right, right They right, had the now. doubleheaders. They oh, played Wales,
2: yeah, Wales, yeah. That's right, yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, poorly happening. But, yeah. Um, you know, Italy looked completely out of sorts a week ago against Scotland, and it was 47 to, yeah. six or something ridiculous. Um, then they, I guess they had a better showing. I haven't watched the game, but they, they obviously were a little bit better. So, you know, I, I'd like to think we can compete against them. Uh, if if Italy has an off day, Canada has a good day, I think there's a shot. France, you never know what they're going to get. Um, you know, I, talking about whether there's an A or B side, that was one of the things that Crowley pointed out early in the year where he, uh, kind of a lesson he learned from 2011 where he pretty much had the same lineup every game guys really look shellacked at the end um, so he wanted to avoid that so I think we'll see some I think France is the game we have uh, a few days rest that's probably where he's going to throw in kind of a B side kind of a mixed match kind of thing um, so yeah that'll be a struggle you never know what's going to happen in France I mean hey Tonga beat them at the World Cup last time so yeah. anything can happen but, but yeah I think everyone agrees that those Ireland and France games is just a step beyond so yeah we'll, we'll target those games uh, hopefully we can get the Romania game, Italy, who knows, you know, as, as long as we put in a good performance, I think, I think the fans will be okay with that. Really. That's that's all we're asking is, is if the guys go in there and play with, uh, you know, play with everything and, and try and minimize those little silly errors that seem to creeping up in the last
1: couple of games anyways. The the thing is, it's interesting you mentioned Romania in that game against Edinburgh. Yeah, I mean, it's, it was such a weird game to watch. I went and watched, you know, the Romanians actually posted it, and you watch the game, and you, yeah, absolutely, the scrum is exactly what you expect. These are the Romanians, this is what they do. The rest of their game was just, it was so shockingly bad. I'd forgotten, even though Canada's played them two years in a row, I'd forgotten how little they have outside of that tight game, and
2: it's really just ten man rugby, I mean that's has in their game, right? It's,
1: yeah, it really is. Kick impressive.
2: it to the corners yeah. and, and try and go for those driving balls and, and try and get those scrums as, as much as they can. It, um, yeah, they're very limited. The, the wingers almost never see the ball.
1: It's it's going to be challenging. I mean, you, and then you mentioned the schedule, which goes Italy, it goes Ireland on the nineteenth, then a week off, they play Italy and Leeds, then it's France midweek, and then it's Romania yeah. on the following. T- is it Tuesday? I guess. Um, yeah, I think there's a thing. right and, yeah, and it so is. so you look at how that plays out, you know, you're gonna probably go with your first team against Ireland, which means you also have a week to keep your first team together, play them against Italy. The France yep. game right. could be a total blowout because they have to play the second team, and we'll see what happens. We'll see how that plays out. Because as you said, that Romanian game, you gotta believe that they're gonna want to put their best scrum in. I'm curious. You have to. I'm curious what do you think that scrum will look like, you know, in terms of, especially the tight five. I mean, it's, it's well, tough yeah, yeah. to judge I mean, after I mean, four. So
2: from what we're looking at right now, uh, I mean, we just saw Marshall, he's already carrying a back injury and a, and a knee injury. I guess he's sort of mostly through that stuff, but then he goes there, and it looks like a rib kind of thing he's got uh, from the opening 10 minutes in that Fiji game. So, I mean, he's kind of walking wounded. If he even makes it to the tournament, I, I might be a little surprised. Um I think Doug Woldridge, regardless, is our best tight head. Um, Hooker, I mean, set-piece-wise, Carpenter hasn't quite worked out. Uh is, you know, he's, he's steady. I think is probably going to be Barkwell. He's worked, uh, he's done the most work in the scrum. He's got a lot of experience with the side Woldridge with the uh, Ontario Blues over the last few years. Um, Lu said kind of seems like a an interesting decision. I think uh, I, I think second row is pretty pretty much Cudmore, um, and it, it'll either be Sinclair or Olmstead, depending on where uh, depending on where Jeb plays. Whether because he did roll out at six the other day, so he could be at six, it could be second row. But that's pretty much uh, pretty much an easy one. The question early is loosehead: do they opt for Biden? Do they opt for uh, DJ Series Um you know, looking at their game plan, there's no question that DJ gives them the most uh, dynamic options in a loose. I think that's pretty obvious for L C. Uh the question is do you go for the steady experience of Biden's to start or do you full to go you just guns, all done plays, put DJ and see if he can do some damage early on, knowing that with his inexperience he might make a little mistake here or there. But so so that's a question. I don't think I don't think his inexperience is really that much of an issue in the scrum. He's just such a, a beast already. So so strong, so physically powerful. Uh, he's looked pretty good, almost surprisingly good in the scrum. So, you know, for me, I would start DJ, um, but it's a tough call. It's uh, That's one that, that you're going to have to sit down and, and iron out. But, but for me, I, I think you've just got to take the risks. you got to play DJ. and hope he make some crazy spin move like you did the other
1: night against georgia it's uh it's an interesting one and that's certainly one that i've been looking at uh, i just if you go with the form chart i just don't see how you don't pick sears dura biden's has, yeah. has i think struggled this summer maybe he's carrying a bit of an injury who knows he's had a hard time i think he's also had a hard time adjusting to the the new system they're using with you yeah know, him having to I mean, be we, first receiver that we've kind of seen thing
2: him, uh, yeah we've seen him line up at first receiver so much and that it, it doesn't really suit uh, Huber. I think he's a, a better support player. Um, you know, he's getting the ball. He's not a really dynamic catch it flat footed and then accelerate really fast. That's not really him. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think there's some issues there, and I would agree. I, I would start D.J.
1: I think uh it is gonna be interesting, and Just to flip back to the the fly half question, I've been so impressed with what Nate Hiriam has been able to do this summer and, and uh, you know, that the goal kicking performance from the sounds of it, we of course didn't weren't really able to see it, but the, against Georgia gave some pause, I thought, given, you know, how how much they've struggled in that even with uh dismissing James Pritchard, that you know, that Gordy McCrory's had some trouble there. Connor Braid, who I think if you went on paper, said who's their best kicker on paper, it might actually be him. Had a tough go of it on Sunday. Just it, to me, Hirayama is the out-and-out first choice fly half. Is that a fair thing to say? Uh,
2: yeah, and I, I think it's. Uh, I think it's a surprise. I think a lot of people would have looked to and and uh, and probably pegged Underwood to take that. He's got so much talent, so much potential. He's a bigger guy. He's generally a little bit more committed in defense. But he's been out for so long. He yeah, just looks. Uh, Rusty resting. for me has been a surprise. Um, you know, I was kind of iffy on him when, when they, uh, they, they pulled him up just because he's, he's really just been a seven specialist for so long. But you can't deny his uh, his talents. I mean, his kicking off both feet has been exceptional. Um, the goal kicking is actually kind of surprising, he's done well there too. His defense hasn't been... Uh, they've kind of figured out their defense around him, so he doesn't get exposed, really. And even when he's had to make his tackles he's made them. So I can't really complain there, either. Um, you know, every now and then he'll make a kind of crazy decision, maybe go for a 50-50 pass that's not on. But I, I would agree that is probably the guy uh, going forward. Um, it was the kicking issue, yeah, I mean, it, it looks like Hiriyama will take it. Um, going in, I would have thought, you know, obviously with Richard out, I would have thought McCrory would be the guy he's looked really good at the Wolfpack, pack, but uh he's again he's, he's struggled a little bit for the post so I, it's probably just a, a matter of going with who was ever in form at the time um, I like braid, but I, I haven't seen the whole Fiji game, so I haven't seen all his his kicking attempts there but uh, but he's another guy in the past he's been kind of hot and cold, so uh, you know if if Hiriyama's the form guy then and he's the kicker and uh yeah it's um you know we'll, we'll see it. we'll see how it goes but he's looked pretty uh, pretty all right. He gives us certainly that attacking flair.
1: It seems to me that if say Hiyam's goal kicking is on then that means you can pick Phil Mack and leave McCrory as the backup. I I I to me it's a no no doubter in terms of in terms of the actual on-field presence, but that goal kicking does seem to be McCrory's advantage right now over Mac at least it had been. Well,
2: uh, they're two very different players um you know, Mac makes such an impact off the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, he can come on, defenses are tiring those last 25, 30 minutes, and he's, got, he's just so ridiculously quick around the breakdown. He's world class there. Um, and the thing with Phil, I don't think is, because again, he's played so much service, I don't think his fundamentals are, are quite as strong as, as Um His pass isn't always as sharp, uh, his box kicking certainly isn't up to the level of McCrory. However, uh, if, if you're going to start, here I am, and it looks like they are. I really like the combination that Phil and, and Nathan have. Uh, we played together for so long. they um, just kind of know where each other are at, at all times. and I think I think that might give Phil an edge. So um, I know he, he's had some knee problems. He actually, there was kind of a scary tackle in the, in the helifactory. He kind of bent over backwards, uh, tweaked it little ice on it afterwards. But, uh, it looks like, I saw him for a couple of minutes against Piggy but it looks like he's okay there. So, you know, um, again, if, if you want to go all guns blazing, show him up there from the start and, and see what happens. Just, I mean, he just makes something out of nothing, right? So, you know, maybe you sacrifice a little bit of that tactical game by leaving Gordy on the bench, but you, you gain some spark going forward with the ball in hand.
1: All right, Brian, uh, thanks as always for joining us. Hope to get you again in uh, before the World Cup starts here in a couple of weeks.
2: Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks uh, for
1: having me on. Folks, of course, you can find Brian on Twitter, at Raise Rugby, at uh, americasrugbynews.com. America's I am, of course, Patrick Johnson at Rising Action. We'll be back on the other side of the break with uh, our old buddy, Curtis Reed. See you in a moment. All right. Welcome back, folks. As promised, Curtis Reed from This Is American Rugby is on the line. Curtis, uh, you're you're in Seattle. How are you doing?
0: Doing well. I'm glad it's turning fall.
1: Absolutely. You're not in the airport, unlike Brian. You must, uh, you must miss traveling all around America.
0: Uh, no, I miss traveling to California. I've discovered that if you go anywhere east of the Mississippi, travel becomes horrendous. So <laughs> stay west of the Mississippi.
1: Good plan. Good policy. I like that. Uh, Curtis, Americans like Canada sitting uh, a week away or so from kicking off their World Cup. How do things stand in the Eagles' camp?
0: You know, extremely positive. Um, you know, they finished the, the summer. They had seven matches. They haven't had seven matches in a warm-up ever prior to the start of a World Cup. Um, you know, they won three of those. Um so, and even in some of those losses, the, the Samoa loss, um, the loss to the Harlequins, even the loss to Australia, there were a lot of positives to take away from their performance. They gained a lot of confidence in how they played. Um, so they're feeling confident, they're ready to go, and I think they have some eye on some major upsets at the World Cup. Uh,
1: the the last game was against Australia, and you know maybe it's been plenty of both but or plenty about, but in context is that going to have any impact on the psyche on the players preparation i i i felt it was a bit of an odd one to have as your last game being your biggest opponent uh you know in a, a game that you were likely going to lose and lose heavily and you know maybe they showed well enough but uh, as a preparation thing i thought it was odd it, it seemed pretty obvious that they were chasing a big money and and maybe that was bad timing if in hindsight if that's really what they wanted to do but Yeah. Is there really any kind of lasting impact from that game in particular?
0: Yeah. I mean, you're right. It was kind of an awkward situation. There's a couple ways to look at it. Um, you know, you could look at it as having their confidence shaken by being beaten by a large score, which is what ended up happening. Um, you also have to worry about injuries. There were a number of players that went off injured against the all blacks last November. So you had to worry if they're going to play a high level opponent like Australia that, Some of their key guys were going to get dinged up. Fortunately, that didn't happen. Um, You know, but I think they took a positive angle to it, and they thought, you know what? We're going to test ourselves. We've had a great summer. We're going to test ourselves against the best team that we possibly can at the moment outside of New Zealand. Um, And For the first 40 minutes, they, you know, were even. They went down at, at only four at halftime before subs and some other things kind of took control in the second half. But I think... You know, from the match, they didn't let it uh, be a situation where they're going to look at the scoreline and be like, hey, we only gave up 50 points. After the match, they were kind of pissed to give up 50 points, knowing that they could do better. So I think from that perspective, it's turned out to be a positive for them, and and they're going to take a lot of momentum into the World Cup, knowing, hey, we are able to hang close against Australia for a half. There's no reason why we can't beat Scotland. Uh, There's no reason why we can't... uh, well, we'll talk about the South Africa match later, but you know, there's no reason why we can't beat Japan, Samoa, and Scotland. There's no reason why we can't make noise at the World Cup. So, definitely, I think confidence gained from that match, despite the end result.
1: Let's talk about that potential in the World Cup. They're in a they're in a tricky group. I, I think, though, if you compare it with Canada's group, there the Americans and and form as well, I suppose, but the Americans. You guys look to be well set to pick up perhaps a couple wins. They'll be hard wins, but if they are wins, they would be impressive ones.
0: Yeah, I think the reality is that people need to remind themselves of the U.S. is not favored in any of those matches. Um, they shouldn't be shocked if the U.S. goes zero and four. Uh, Japan is a good team. The team they played in Sacramento earlier this year had a lot of substitutes. Um, there was no Goromaru on on the roster. You know, there was some. They're missing some of their top players. Um, and Samoa, you know, it was kind of their first, you know, they, I guess they played the All Blacks the week before, but when they played the Eagles. But since then they've played a lot of matches themselves and they've gotten on the same page uh, and better. So, uh, But you're right, you know, there is the opportunity there for an upset. I don't think anybody thinks that Scotland is the power that they once were and that they're vulnerable, even though they are playing some decent rugby at the moment. Um the door is there for the Americans to snake a, a couple of wins but uh, it's important to remember that they're not favored in any of them.
1: In context, it doesn't matter what the results are. If they come out, say they pull a couple wins, say they pull one win, You know, are are, are people feeling better about American rugby than if they come home 0-4?
0: Uh, yes. I think simply because of the media attention that would be put on them if they were to earn a win. Um, And also, you know, Americans are kind of funny in this regard, but we think that every sport we go into at an international level, we should win. And so if we don't win, even if it's a sport that's not popular, you know, relatively in America, we don't win, then people say, why not? You know, they have a negative... uh, outlook if, if you don't pick up some results and so even though the rugby community and the, the coaches and the players may feel positive if they hold things close and go 0-4 uh, in order to really gain momentum among the public I think you have to pick up a win you have to create a storyline for NBC sports and the media to grab a hold of and to run with and to drive interest in the game and to the, You know, they're going to play on uh, national television, and unless you have a really nice storyline that goes along with it, you know, the potential of reaching the the quarterfinals or even grabbing an automatic qualifying spot for the next cycle, um, it's hard to really see people getting excited about it in the long term.
1: With that in mind... And it's something that we discussed earlier. Brian and I were talking about about the Canadian challenge in terms of their schedule and the likelihood that they'll play a, you know, probably play a second team against France. You know, it's pretty obvious now that the Americans, and I think it's been known for a while now that, that Mike Tolkien's gonna run out a second team against South Africa. You know, and and you mentioned the importance of doing something on the world stage so that people can say, hey, this is actually a sport we're kind of good at. In the end, that still seems like a bit of a strange thing. The, the Canada and the U.S. aren't there to win it. You look at the FIFA World Cup, which still has plenty of teams that are there that don't have a hope to win, but there's sort of this dream of progression. Both Canada and the U.S. I think are facing huge tasks, not even to progress, but to show well. You know, They're going to show up to get a win, get two wins. You know, To me, I'm wondering if we find ourselves thinking, is there a point to all of this, that if, in the end, Canada and the U.S. just look like fodder, why are we bothering with it?
0: Yeah, I think that's the question that world rugby has to face over the next few years and going into this World Cup. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just the nature of of how it works. It's not, you know, you can't play three matches in a week like you can at the FIFA World Cup or even, you know, three matches in two weeks. People need time to recover and bodies. And so there's always going to be mismatches like the U.S. and South Africa. As soon as uh, the U.S. qualified and knew what pool they were going to be put into, everyone knew that they were not going to run out the first string against South Africa. They would lose. They're just going to lose, period. You know, South Africa can can run out their third string side and still beat the U.S. first string side. It's just the reality. And so everyone knew that they were going to run out a second team there. Um, and I think that's true throughout the World Cup when you look at matchups. You know, Australia, do you think that Australia, Wales, and England aren't going to run out their second teams against Uruguay? Of course they are. You know, I think well, it's, it's hard to make a comparison to the FIFA World Cup, but I think it's good because there's so much more parity there that when the U.S. advanced out of their group the last two cycles – you could legitimately see a path to them making the semifinals. You know, if things had broken their way, you could see a team like that making some. Turkey made the semifinals back in 2002. You know, you have surprises all the time, along with South Korea. World rugby's problem is that the same eight teams, pretty much, continue to make the quarterfinals. There are no room for upsets. So whether they need to look at changing the format to include um, more teams so they can have a round of 16, or whether they need to just say, forget it, we're going to limit the number of teams and have a a elite tournament. Unless you have a team like Fiji causing an upset or Samoa, you, you have the same European and... Sans are company or countries making the, the quarterfinals again. I think you're really risking a stale product in the long term.
1: Now, before we go, uh, you know, we've talked plenty <laughs> about Pool B, we've talked plenty about Pool D being Canada. Um, <clears throat> just thought we'd quickly touch on Pool A, which, which, is interesting we saw Canada play Fiji we saw how impressive Fiji have been this summer and I think they've been only getting better John McKee's really been hammering home the need for his players to have more consistency in everything they do and we're really starting to see it you look at the injuries that Wales suffered on the weekend losing Lee Halfpenny Uh, they seem like a bit of a team that's kind of lost its way not quite sure what it wants to do or how it wants to play the game um england seem to be feeling really good about themselves i think it's fair to say that australia now that they've found all their overseas reinforcements are looking really good again um but yeah do do you have any thoughts on on what fiji might be able to do i mean we've seen a fair bit of them this summer
0: i think they have the potential to finish second in that pool um you know they're not going to be favored in any of those matches outside of uruguay but They've, you know, they've racked up over the last few years a number of wins over these type of teams that they're going to face in in Pool A. Um, There's no reason why they can't beat Wales. They're more, let's, you know, if we're being honest, they're more athletic than Wales. They're more creative than Wales. Um, And now without Lee Halfpenny, they probably have better kicking than Wales. So (laughs) there's no reason why they can't win that game. And England, you know. England can either be really good or they can be really bad and they could be taken advantage of by uh, a really strong team in Fiji that, that likes to attack um, you know uh, that's to me that's the hope for having an interesting World Cup really outside of the, the semifinals and maybe the quarterfinals is whether Fiji can sneak past those those teams and they have no reason to think that they can't I think,
1: honestly, from my chair, you are actually maybe underselling things in Pool a little bit. I look at how, you know, how well Samoa has shown at times, but how much they've struggled. that Canada almost beat them. Uh, you look at Japan, as you said, you know, they're they've been a bit under strength, but now they should be back of full form. And in the U.S., I mean, I think if the U.S. has its day, it could win. It could win enough. I mean, it could win three games to find itself in second place. I actually think there's a chance of that. Um, the only pool that you really look at go, huh, I'm not really sure what, or I'm not really keen on how good the rugby's going to be, I think is pool... Um, <clears throat> Pool C, which is the All Blacks, who you assume are going to win. Argentina, who you assume is going to finish second. And then Tonga, Georgia, and Namibia. You kind of think, you've got to think that Tonga's probably got the advantage over Georgia, although, you know, you never know with them from week to week. And of course, Georgia has their powerful scrum. Um, but I, I, I worry about Pool C. Because of the fact that that's the pool that New Zealand is in, and that's what New Zealanders are going to be watching, and, I, and, and we know how much pull they have on the international stage, and rightly so, because of the fact they love rugby so much. I do worry, though, that people are going to sit back and say, man, this World Cup sucks.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree with that, unless you see Fiji or a team like Japan or Samoa grab one of those quarterfinal spots. Because then suddenly, I mean, I don't remember the the quarterfinal matchups off the top of my head if they're done by pool or if they're done by rank. I don't remember. Um, but then all of a sudden you have the potential of, of New Zealand playing somebody they're not used to playing in the quarterfinals. Um, and I think that would spice things up a little bit. Uh, it, you know, it's it's it would be nice, I think, for world rugby. Not so nice for the fans of these countries and nations, but... It'd be nice you know, if uh, a team like Wales, England, or even Scotland missed out on the quarterfinals and not only that had to go through qualifying for the World Cup. I think it would make them appreciate what other nations have to do a little bit more and maybe open up some possibilities for a shake-up down the road for a more fair uh, shake to Tier 2 countries.
1: Uh, it just so just to touch base on that, it's pool A and pool B that are paired together for the quarterfinals, and pool C and pool D. So the All Blacks would face the assuming the All Blacks win, the All Blacks would face the second place team in Canada's pool, which is going to be probably Ireland or France. Uh, so yeah. you know, I mean, that that itself is a tantalizing quarterfinal right there. So.
0: But even even still, you know, with the large uh, Pacific Islander population in New Zealand the large Fijian and Samoan communities. If those two nations were to make the quarterfinals, I think you would definitely see yeah. some buzz down in New Zealand anyways.
1: All right, Curtis, thanks as always for joining us. Uh, we'll, we'll probably try to touch base before the World Cup launches. Of course, we're, we're inside almost two weeks now from it, uh, or uh, one, one week, I should say. Wow, that seems amazing. Inside almost a week now from it kicking off. And, uh, you know, we'll try to maybe touch base uh, as things get rolling and and keep things going. Of course, I am heading over there and uh, we'll we'll see how things play out.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm extremely jealous. I'm, you know, I don't want to say stuck in Seattle because Seattle is a wonderful place, but I wish I was heading over there with you.
1: All right, buddy. Folks, as always, try and tackle. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us uh, on various other podcast players. If you go to theprovincepodcast.com, uh, we're also on TuneIn. We're on Stitcher. You can reach me, of course. I'm on Twitter at RisingAction. Curtis is uh, at thisamerarugby, Brian Ray is at Ray's Rugby. Uh, we'll see you again very soon.
0: You've been listening to the Province Sports Try and Tackle Podcast with your host, Province Sports Mobile Editor, Patrick Johnston. Find this and other great sports podcasts in iTunes or subscribe to using your favorite podcast app by clicking the links available on theprovincepodcast.com.